Hello and welcome. It is episode 78 of the Saints FC podcast and I'm joined not just by Mr. Tom Parker who's on the line. Tom, how how are you? Hello. I'm very good, John. How are you? Uh, But I'm also joined by Mike Powell, my father-in-law, who you may remember from episode, I don't know, like 13 or 14, quite quite a long time ago now. It was a legendary one, I seem to remember. Yeah, I mean, it went down (laughs) incredibly well with with the listeners. Um, They're like, you know, you should be visiting the Isle of Wight more often and getting a father-in-law. Finally, there's a man that can talk some sense here, you know, (laughs) the voice of the boomers amongst the millennials. Uh, Hello to you, Tom. Hey, how you doing there, Mike? You well? Yeah, Thank good, you. thanks. Yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Right, Tom, we're, we're in a time-pressured situation here. Your wife is just about to go into labour. She's due on <laughs> Sunday. Due so, on Sunday, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go. So, so good luck with that, mate, if, we don't, if we don't record Thank another you. podcast before that happens. quite. I think the first one's quite often late anyway. Um, That's what they say. Yeah. That's what they say. If if you want to wish Tom Parker some good fortune, you can of course do that through our email address, saintsfcpodcast at gmail dot com, or they can find you on Twitter as well, can't they? Like, what is your yeah. Twitter account? Is it at Tom Parker eighty one? That's exactly right, Tom Parker eighty one. Yeah. There we go. Or you can find us on at Saints of Sea Podcast, and of course, uh, we will forward on any good wishes to Tom. Um, Tom, Mike, I've got some terribly sad news. We didn't record a podcast last week, which means we're going to have to cover the game against West Ham to start oh, off with. Oh, God. Oh, no. Um, I, I tell you what, I'm going to start with a listener here. So um, we had uh, Saint GT email. I think his name is Gordon or Graham. I can't remember. I, th- I think Gordon, perhaps. Um, anyway, St. GT emails and he says, hi, our foam, our home form doesn't seem to have lifted. After just watching another frustrating display against West Ham, who knows why we cannot translate our away form to home. But for this game, I have to question the starting formation of 4-2-2-2 as we performed much better when we switched to 4-4-2. And the apparent reluctance of Ralph to go to the bench, especially when players like Hoiberg are having such a poor game, Surely Ralph is tactically better than this. Cheers for the show. Great to have something that is all saints. Well, obviously, thank you for the platitudes um, and flattery. That always goes down well with us. Um, Mike, what what do you think here? I think there's a real problem, which is at home. Uh, It's difficult to put your finger on it, but there's just... I I was saying it's almost like an institutionalised anxiety at St Mary's um it doesn't feel like they're playing at home when they're playing at St Mary's um Saints are doing better away from home playing better getting more points I think I'm right in saying than they are at home and that 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 can't be right and I think possibly it's a combination of two things one is just there's this incredible sense of nervousness about the place it is a sort of negativity um 
I'm not sure how you break through that, but I'm sure in a sense, you know, the, the players are feeding from it, from the crowd and vice versa. And even if they go 1-0 up, there's just this sense of sort of doom about the place. It, well, we all know it's going to go pear-shaped by the end. So that's one point. And then I, I'm not an expert on tactics, but it, it doesn't feel like they're playing at home when they're playing at home in terms of the way they play. Instead of trying to dominate the play, they, they seem to be almost wanting to play like they're away and you know they're going to score breakaway goals, try and contain the other side, and then break away and, and nick a goal or two. And it it just seems a very limited way to play. And, I, and I'm surprised they haven't found something better than that so so far this season. Tom, what what do you think of Mike's thoughts there? Yeah, I think Mike's I think Mike's absolutely onto it. I think there does seem to be a, a real negativity at St Mary's. I don't I don't enjoy going to games there. I think we've had much better time at away games recently, John. And uh, I think there's a, a tendency to jump on the players back too quickly, particularly um, you know we are even though it's only it's only Southampton, uh, you know teams will still. Uh, look to defend against us, you know, as the home team, the emphasis is on us to attack. And often, you know, if we lack a, a runner, we lack a, you know, a ball forward or a telling pass, you know, the ball gets played back, goes back to the centre-back, it goes back to Alex McCarthy, straight away the crowd are getting on their back. And I, and I absolutely agree with Mike. I think that nervousness and that anxiety filters through very quickly to the players. And you end up with a set of players who are afraid to try uh, and and create something because they don't want to be the one that loses the ball or, or you know, that gives the game away for Saints. So I think there's definitely a, an anxiety there. And I think also, you know, there is a there is a certain tactical inflexibility with Ralph, which part of me admires, but also part of me does think is, is quite strange. And, and we sort of seem to line up exactly the same at home every single time, not giving any uh, difference to you know nothing different at all depending on who we're playing against and then I will talk about the West Ham, West Ham game but I think that's where that was where it's really obvious that we just kind of you know Bournemouth was another game we just got it really wrong I, I'm going to come in here because I agree with you both on the malaise in St Mary's the anxiety which is palpable in the air the the fans getting on the back of the players as well when they are playing this quite negative game so if, if you're holding on to possession you're passing it sideways people start booing you pass it backwards etc the other thing as well that we do is we give the ball away quite a lot and I think quite intentionally uh, when we're playing at home and I think tactically Ralph knows that we're better without the ball and he knows that we've got a better chance of scoring from snatching it off the opposition mm. and quickly turning it around than we have from actually building up because we don't have I mean, Jack Stevens aside, Andrea Perlo in the side, we don't have a David Beckham. We haven't got someone with that vision to play a cross-field 50-yard ball and really open things up. So actually, we're better off just hoofing it up there and then having a challenge between Shane Long and Danny Ings and whoever their centre-backs are on, on, on that day. And for a home crowd watching that, it's quite frustrating because you think of Southampton as a team. You know, it's not that long ago that we had the likes of Lalana, who is such a wonderfully creative player, who would, uh, you know, and Mane and Pella and Tadic, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all building up and all quite capable of doing some really quite exciting and and quite attractive looking play. Whereas I don't know the the 
the Ralph thing is giving the ball away and then winning it back off the opposition and then quickly turning around and scoring a goal. And if it was working all the time, I think everyone would be able to accept that. But whilst it's not working, it's it's pretty difficult to watch. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and bear in mind, this isn't, I think that the home hoodoo, it's not a Ralph thing. This goes all the way back to the end of Koeman. Um, you know, so how many managers does that try to fix this? Claude Puel, Pellegrino, Mark Hughes, and now, and now Ralph. We're on our fourth manager at this home hoodoo. Um, and, you know, thank God we got those two wins against Norwich and Watford because we were abject against West Ham. We, we, we really were. So, I mean, under the Saints 0, West Ham 1 uh, scoreline, I, the first word I've written is dreadful. Um, I've got that Sebastian Ellis scored a really good team goal. I've got that Antonio caused us so much trouble again and again. He always does. Um, ever since he's left Saints and joined West Ham, he just loves to call us trouble. Um, there was... West Ham had a goal disallowed for VAR with Antonio handling it on the way. In. Ings hit the crossbar. Long probably should have put the follow-up in. Didn't. Ings also had a beautiful goal disallowed from VAR. You know, 25-yard strike into the top corner, which was a real shame because I think that would have been his first goal from outside the box um, as well. But But ultimately, although there's a couple of things that you can perhaps grab hold of, Saints were just bad. They were just bad at home again. Yeah, Mike, I, do you want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 they were, and it, it is a difficult watch uh, when they're playing like that at St Mary's. But I, I just coming back to this thing about the negativity. May, maybe a New Year's resolution for the, the crowd at St Mary's is just to try to give the t- team a lift. You know, I mean, may, maybe if. As Tom says, you know, it's easy to, to get on the back of a player when they're um, when they mis misplace a pass or they don't don't do something that's particularly positive. But maybe they, the crowd's just got to try and give the team a lift and go with it and just keep encouraging the team, even if the game's going against them, and try that for a few games and see if you can sort of break through this. It feels like a vicious circle, you know, that the, the team and the crowd are sort of feeding off each other. So I think it's very difficult for the team if they sense that, you know, as, as Tom said, if they do anything wrong, they're immediately, immediately going to get a lot of criticism from the crowd. So I don't know how you get a sense of corporate change amongst a large football crowd, but it does just need, the atmosphere needs to switch to something slightly different there and something more positive and then just see if the team can respond to it. As far as Ralph's concerned, I mean, I think I had tremendous hopes for Saints, uh, uh, in the summer, I felt, you know, he made a real step change when he came in last year and, and you felt they were really going to kick on this year. And it is disappointing that they do seem to be a bit rigid and a bit constrained in the ways that they can play. I remember uh, Ralph did an interview back in the summer where he, he was very upfront and saying how positive things were and that they had three or four different ways they could play and, you know, very flexible and it was all, all sounding great. And... It just hasn't happened this year, and it, it, it's disappointing. But I think we've got to put that to one side and say, you know, they are where they are. They clearly are capable of playing good football. They've got some good players, and let's try and get behind them, change the atmosphere at St Mary's, and really help them to push on because they're going to need help. I think, you know, they're they're in a relegation fight again this year, 
and they will need help. And I think they have the potential to do it. So maybe the crowd can just nudge them that bit further down the road. Mike, I, I'm going to put it to you that um, there's going to be some fans that are going to be there, um, not at the next home game against Palace, but the one against Tottenham on the 1st of January, who would have paid over £65, or I think it was £65 or £62 to be in the Kingsland stand watching the Saints team. And if they start off you know, badly, they're not putting in the effort. They might be taking their whole family, might have been a Christmas present. They could be a good £240 in if there's four of them as a Christmas present going in, and they're not seeing the players put in the effort. Is it not the Saints fans' right to get on the back of these players? Well, I think it's their right to expect the team to put in the effort. I, I accept that entirely. And, you know, it is really unacceptable if you feel that there are one or two individuals or the team as a whole aren't putting a proper shift in and that they're not trying their very best. But I think you have to uh, accept at times that, you know, not everybody can be Liverpool, not everybody can be Manchester City, and sometimes the best of your team won't be good enough. And uh, you're better off paying your 60 quid or your 250 quid and going in, you know, as long as they, they put the effort in, if they lose, try and enjoy it. If you see a good game yeah. and they're beaten by a, a better team, then there's not much you can really complain about there. And I think you'd be better being positive in watching them lose if you think they've they have put that effort in. I, I agree entirely. If I mean, I've seen a few players over the last few years where you think, well, actually that that individual is just, you know, taking the Mickey really. They're not trying at all, and th- and that isn't acceptable. And I think in that situation, then players should expect to be criticised. But beyond that, you know, if they if they do things wrong, if they make mistakes. If things don't go right for them as a whole as a team, then it, it, it ultimately isn't helpful just to be negative about that. I think you have to accept, you know, if they are doing their best, then support them. That's what you're there for, to support your team. And so I think you need to be able to draw a line somewhere and just not expect them to turn up and win every week. And not that we do anymore, but, you know, that, that has to be a, a kind of point where you try and draw a distinction between a team that isn't trying and a team that's just been better by been beaten by a better team. Tom, your turn to wade in on this argument. Well, I think you're absolutely right. First off, the ticket prices are completely and utterly nuts, aren't they? For that game that's on TV against Spurs, you know, just after Christmas, everyone's skin. And, you know, Saints are expecting fans to pay a minimum of 50 quid. Uh, totally bonkers. I mean, even Ralph's now being asked about falling attendances at St Mary's. Yeah, it's, it's it's frustrating because you know everyone. It's, it's often trotted out that you know the clubs don't need attendance if they can you know play them play at empty grounds and they'll still be financially viable. But where are the next generation of fans going to come from, John? If you, you know, mm. I think it's probably safe to say Southampton's economy as a city is not you know like most of the economies of most cities in the UK is not going gangbusters at the moment. And yet, where are the next generation? Where are the the sixteen year olds, seventeen year olds now that in ten years time are going to want to take their to take their young kids to the game? If that if that taking that young kid to the game is going to cost you seventy, eighty quid to go and watch a Southampton team, which is not consistently performing, uh, you know, I worry about the the long term viability of the, the supporter base. Uh, you know, that's another massive big topic to discuss, but that, that is worrying. But uh, it's up to the players to. To, to dig themselves out, and the, and the, the worrying thing is 
too often at home this season, the players have failed to even do the basics. So they're not just losing or getting beat. They're not even attempting to beat the opposition. And I would say Bournemouth, you know, with a game like that, tactically, we were just set up completely wrong. Everton, obviously Leicester. And now um, I think I, I put West Ham in that list. And that's, you know, we've, probably, well, we've played, what, 18 games this season now? Uh, nine of those at home, say. So that's nearly half of our home games. You know, with one, two, the drawing at May United. But in those four games I've talked about, you know, they've not even really put in a shift. And that's surely that's the bare minimum Saints fans can ask. Yeah, you, know, you can't ask them to win. You can't always ask them to score. But surely Saints fans are entitled to see the players put in a shift. And, and too often, too many of the players just simply aren't doing that. And uh, and that is, that's what drives people mad more than anything. I do believe that. And, and what's mad is you contrast that with away games. You know, John, you and I were at the Arsenal game, which was immediately after the Everton game. Yeah. And the difference in tenacity and urgency and energy expended by the players is we, it didn't even look like the same group of players, did it? And so how can that possibly be? It just, it's mad. I, I mean, I think it's the, it's the big question about Saints this season. I've written down Jekyll and Hyde as almost my topic of, of the podcast because the West Ham game was dreadful. Um, it was typical of a really, really important Saints home game where you expect the players to be like on the front foot right from the very start. They were beaten to every second ball by West Ham. They were bullied by the West Ham players. Um and then you have like the game against Villa where it's so important for Villa and Saints, they, they started that. I think they had a chance within about 30 seconds. They had their second chance a, a minute later. Um, okay, we had a, you know, a few lucky moments in, in the first few minutes, but really we should have maybe scored four, five or six goals in, in that game. And again, yeah, the Arsenal game, we should have scored four goals. The you know other away games, we're putting in much, much bigger efforts. And then we have these dreadfully scary home games that I, I mean I'm just kind of ping-ponging from being an absolute despair to absolute joy you know I'd actually prefer it if we didn't play another game at St Mary's for the whole rest of the exactly. season I, yeah. I think think we'd be in a much better position and some of that's tactically some of that is down to the fans in the stadium um, but it's it's hard to ask our fans who are paying really good money to go and watch not a really good team um, to, you know, to, to fully back it. Because I think there's a lot of fans out there who are frustrated with Ralph, who are frustrated with the players, especially the ones who just go to the home games and aren't going to the away games because they've been dreadful at home for most of the season. Um, anyway, I, I think we've probably done enough sadness and misfortune. So let's move on to Villa Park. Um so I, I've still got my run of having seen, I think, 15 Saints games live in person without going to go to a, with without seeing a victory now. Um, I was going to go to this game at Villa Park. Sophie, my wife, stopped me saying that I had far too many errands to run because we're hosting Christmas this year. Um, and she, she was right. Yeah, and, and luckily enough for the Saints fans, I wasn't there and we got a victory <laughs> at Villa Park. Um, I'm not going to get any joy from Mike on that one, are you, John? Say that again, sorry, Tom. You're not going to get any joy from Mike on that on that line of argument. No, no. Yeah, I said she was absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I expect to be entertained. <laughs> Bring your finest one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Saints have like 
pretty good memories at Villa Park. The last time I was there was, I think, our FA Cup semi-final. But I think yeah, the last time again. Saints were there were one four two. Yeah, as well against Villa. Shay Long got a worldie, didn't he? Yeah. So I mean, it, it is a happy hunting ground for Saints. It started off, you know, Saints were on the front foot, but I, I guess El Ghazi had the first decent chance from that yeah. Matt Target cross. Yeah. Um, which was pretty scary, and it, it looks, you know, Matt Target looks like a good backup option from left back, doesn't he? Well, considering Saints don't have a left back apart from Bertrand, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean that's the, I mean, all joking aside, if yeah, Kevin Danso is not fit or doesn't fancy our backup left back is Cedric. Um, he's playing right back you know, at the moment. He's playing right back, and then we'd probably bring Yoshida on to play right back, which doesn't bode well um, but look I think you know yeah great win for Saints but I, I would just want to go back to something that you know, we're struggling aren't we against teams with big mobile centre forwards you know it's like we struggled against Andy Carroll we struggled against Haller and we, we couldn't get near Antonio so you know in terms of forwards thank God for Wesley because God he looks terrible doesn't he <laughs> considering he costs more he costs more money than Danny Ings 21 million quid 22 million quid and where did Villa pick up Wesley from, Tom? I mean, uh, you're going to have well, to Dutch, film in. He? He's Dutch. Is there something Dutch. about Dutch players Dutch, called Wesley it? that... Um... <laughs> I think someone said this on Twitter, there's no good footballers called Wesley. Although Wesley Snyder would probably have a few things to say about that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, John, I've got to confess, but I, he's, I was he, He's actually a Brazilian. I didn't he's a Brazilian football oh, player. Yeah. Oh. He was bought from Belgium. Club, Club Bruges. I know nothing then. <laughs> well, I didn't watch this game, John, so you're going to have to lead on it for me and, and Mike as well. Yeah, I was just wondering how many Brazilians there can be called Wesley. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Apparently I, there's quite a lot of uh, Brazilians called Lineker. Um, <laughs> that were, oh, and Gary Lineker won the Golden Boot. I mean, I don't know if there's oh. now like a young group of Brazilians called Harry Kane after he yeah, won the Golden Boot in the last World Cup. <laughs> or even Ings. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've I've only seen the TV um, coverage of the game. Um, I think the general consensus was that Villa were very poor, um, but Saints, to be fair, um, played well uh, and they took their chances. And uh, you have to say a mass massive positive for Saints this year clearly is Danny Ings. Um, I thought the second goal he scored, although it's given to him on a plate in one sense. It was a terrific finish and showed a, a striker who's playing with you know total confidence really, so that that's 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 good. And they had to go there and they had to win and they and they did. And I think for once it felt like they won comfortably, which is you know great. And I think the other big positive really was a, a goal for Jack Stevens, who I was saying to John earlier on this evening that I, I do feel with Jack Stevens there's a there's a good player struggling to get out there um, and. Uh, Maybe if his confidence is boosted and scoring the odd goal is going to help him as well, that he he can start to put in much more consistent and solid performances. But you know, overall, I I think you know an important result for them. They they had to get a result there, and they have, and it keeps them in the 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 kind of hunt to to get out of the relegation positions. Um, and again, it shows you know they can play with energy. They can play with a bit of flair. Uh, and they have got that in them, so it was it was great to see. I thought. So, so John, can I can I step in here? And yeah. I 
I'm going to start with a controversial opinion. Okay. And my controversial opinion is Southampton are better without Musa Gineppo. Because right right now we have Danny Ings, who cannot be dropped. Nathan Redmond, who, despite not having the form of last season, clearly isn't going to be dropped because I think he does so much positive work on and off the ball. Well, I I, I think we can attribute the build-up of two of the goals to Nathan Redmond. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, he had a good game, game. I thought. And and then you've got Shane Long, who, all right, he doesn't score goals, but my God, he's so good. You know, in the air, close control, runs behind back, never giving people a moment's rest. So what Saints then try and do, because I think that's the front three, we then try and incorporate Musa on the right-hand side of the midfield when he doesn't really have the defensive smarts to do it and is an out-and-out winger. There's no way he's anything but an out-and-out winger. And I think we lose balance as a team as a result of it. And I think we're better. You know, sure, Armstrong isn't as flashy and isn't as, you know, like... You know, he's never going to slalom through five players. But I I think Stuart Armstrong adds a sense of balance to the team. And I would almost think right now, if you're going to, you know, if you're not going to drop Redmond um, and you're not going to drop Shane Long, then Musa has to start from the bench as a sort of a player we can bring on to change games or mm. to, if we are winning, to sort of, you know, make it almost, you know, a nightmare for the, for the opposition to pull forward, knowing that we've got someone who can hit him on the break like he can. It's, it's an interesting point you make there, Tom. Um, say, I mean, al- almost what you're saying is it was a bit of a blessing in disguise that Gineppo, who appears perhaps to be our most talented football player at the moment, was actually injured for the game against Villa and therefore couldn't, couldn't be on the pitch. Do you think Ralph realises this as well? Because he also has Buffal, who's a similar sort of tricky winger to Gineppo, yet he is preferring Ward-Prowse, Armstrong... And Hoiberg and Redmond across across those positions, rather than going for Gineppo or Buffal. Yeah, but if you if you think like when we play our midfield, we don't play. Uh, even though Ward Prowse might play on uh, the right hand side of a three, he doesn't play as a winger. You know, he sits deep. Like if you look at his position for the first goal against Villa, which was, by the way, fantastic header back from Bednarek. Yeah, you know, Ward Prowse just finds a pocket of space where he can turn and get the ball to one of the three forwards. And I I think, you know, he doesn't try and be a winger. And I think the problem with Musa, as talented as he is, is he, you know, his instinct is to run for the byline. And we've already got kind of two forwards on either side of Danny Ings that are going to be doing that. Plus, we push up with our fullbacks. You know, fantastic interplay between... Bertrand and yeah. Redmond at the weekend. So I, I almost think that with Musa, we almost like we try too hard and we lose a sense of balance. I don't, I mean, it's just, it's just what I think. I mean, I just think Stuart Armstrong is such a clever, solid footballer, almost a bit like a Stephen Davis, you know, that yeah. he adds something. He has a real sense of balance and a real sort of sense of um, equilibrium to the team, almost. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point of view, actually, and I, I like the use of the word solid because I think that that at times is is a sort of feeling you can have about Saints. They almost have... Try, they're trying to put too many flair players 
players in there, players who can change a game, but you know aren't necessarily going to give you control of a game and aren't going to give you maybe the consistency that that you need and and uh, you do feel that they've got quite a few players of that type at the moment and uh, that can be a weakness and you know, sometimes it's a strength but it's more often than not a weakness so I, I'm inclined to agree with you on that I think Tom yeah I don't know it's just it's just what I think but um, it, it just it, for me we we look more like a I think when we have four three three which is what we're going to play seemingly or four two 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 you know it seems like we're trying to force Nineppo in yeah and I you know don't force it play players you know we've said this all along play players in the right position we yeah. play better this season when players are played in the position they're meant to play in. and uh, oh, and what do you think about the formations then because we had Saint GT complaining about the four two two and saying Saints look better when we were at four four two. You're talking about a, a, th- a front three and a midfield three there, Tom. Is, is that your preferred formation for Saints? 4-3-3 rather than the 4-2-2-2? Two, two, two? I, I, I well, I just think that the 4-2-2-2 is, is a nice idea, but I don't know, and this is, you know, it's not my thoughts. This is, you know, much more smart man than me, Carl Anker's thoughts. But you know, do we have the quality of players? That we need to play four two two two, and if we do have them, are they all playing well enough to do it? Mm-hmm. And I think you'd argue that of our starting eleven, at least two players in Pierre and Cedric are not at the top of their game at the moment, and that's generous. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think Pierre and Cedric are woefully underperforming at the moment. I think Redmond's below the level that he'd like to be. A player who I think. You know, and this is interesting, the four two 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 point where um Carl Anker was saying that we were missing a Nabi Cater type player, like a player who could bring it forward, mm. play neat one twos and create a chance. There was one Saints player who did that against Villa, who brought it up from deep <laughs> within the Saints half, played oh, lots of yeah, lovely lovely one twos and created a, a chance that, you know, you'd have hoped Shane Long would have put away, but he tried to kind of back heel and it didn't quite work. Um, and he told the midfielder where to put the ball, didn't he? Like all the great wingers. Yeah. Put the ball here. And, and, and who was that man? It was the South Coast Cafu. <laughs> I, I see you're, you're stealing the comparison of um, <laughs> League One uh, minus 10 points blogger um, Glendon Kerr there. <laughs> So you're saying Cafu, I'm saying, you know, Jack Stevens could be like Pirlo. It could be a little bit like Nabi Yeah. It was it was beautiful actually, that that work up the wing. And then he gets his goal as well. Um Jack Stevens, we talked a lot about him in the last podcast, but he has been a revelation since he's come come back into I mean I say a revelation, I think that's probably because our expectations were perhaps quite low from the starting point. But at no point has he been dreadful, and at quite a few points, he's done some pretty wonderful stuff. Yeah, I, my, and, sorry, yeah, as I say, Tom. My, no, my, go on, Mike, please. Well, um, f- from the first time I saw Jack Seams, I, I thought there's a footballer there. You know, it's, he's not just a kind of out-and-out central defender. He is a footballer, and he has a lot of potential. But then he went through a spell, maybe it was because of lack of confidence, where he just kept making you know pretty calamitous mistakes and uh, and it wasn't a surprise that eventually he got, he got dropped and you know there was a, a lack of confidence in him probably but I thought it was great to see him back and playing well 
And I'm sure scoring that goal will help his confidence as a defender as well. And, you know, I'd like to see him have a run in the team and do well because I think he does have the potential to be a real asset for Saints. Um, and that, that maybe will be an important match for him. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think we, yeah, John, you and I have been saying for, for probably over a year now that we'd like to see Stephen, you know, cast aside the shackles of centre defence and, and be unleashed as a sort of, you know, a, you know, almost like either like a sweeper or like mm. a sort of, you know, a sort of much more. I, th- I think in the Dutch total football sweeper role would be quite wonderful for Jack Stevens, wouldn't it? I think he's yeah, almost no. born in the wrong era of football and, mm. and in the wrong country. I was just just thinking um, in the context of Martin, Martin Peters' sad death this week, almost more like a Bobby Moore type of player going back a long, long way. But somebody you know, who, who's in defence but is seen as a, a really creative footballer who, who could uh, not, not just defend but really make things happen at the other end of the pitch as well. And I, I think he may have that in him. It's, I mean, he's definitely... Like, I, I've, we've said this for ages. With him. He's not particularly strong for a centre-back. He doesn't strike as pretty strong. And he's not particularly big. And he's not particularly good in the air, uh, despite being on the weekend. scoring. Mm. Apart from mm. scoring, which is actually our, probably our, he is our best defender, isn't he, for goals over the last few years. But what he has got is a, he's got a lovely ability to run with the ball and he's got a fantastic ability to pick a pass yeah. um, and I almost you, you wonder if you know in the sort of modern flowing football if he, if he could offer a bit more to Saints but it was a really good goal and fair play to Ward-Prowse because there was some ridiculous stat wasn't there about Ward-Prowse not having an assist for Saints for all of last season um, whereas Ward-Prowse is sort of really consistently fizzing those Corners into the box, isn't it? I mean, like we saw the, yeah. the free kick for Ings' goal against against um, Norwich. You know, just almost he. You know, when he can hit the ball with that quality, it's just a question of if a Saints player can get their head on it, yeah. rather than um, having you know having to do it much more. And it was a really, I mean, thank God that um, for some reason Aston Villa put El Ghazi on a, on one of our centre backs. But at the end of the day, it was a fantastic cross from all powers and a yeah. really really smart header. Yeah, he's, he's, he's picked up a couple of um, assists now in the Premier League. But, but one of the things I think is quite important about James Ward-Prowse is in, even if he doesn't get the final assist, he is involved in the build-up of a lot of our goals at the moment. You know, the first goal for Danny Ings, he played the ball to Nathan Redmond, who played it up to, to Long. And then obviously Danny Ings got the rebound. You've got that corner as well. And, and he's creating a lot of chances, that even the ones that we're not finishing. I mean, Long has missed a few absolute beautiful chances that have been presented to him um, as a result of some James Ward-Prowse stuff. So uh, that, that was you know, really quite quite good. The other goal, which we haven't talked about, well, there's two goals we haven't talked about yet. Um, there's Jack Grealish, um, his kind of wonderful, was it, was it chest and volley into the yeah, top just, corner? Yeah, chest and volley, yeah. Um, which I think you can just say, well, fair enough, there's a player with a bit of talent. He got an eye for goal. The only argument you could say is that perhaps we could have got out to him a little bit quicker. Um, and then there was the, the Ings finish from... Th- the defender's called Perfect, right? Is, is that correct? I Mike? think that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Perfect or Marvellous? Yeah. I can't yeah, really, really, yeah. 
Um, anyway, whatever, his scuff wasn't quite perfect, uh, unless you're Danny Ings. He, he managed to turn it in and, and finish from there. And we, we've got to talk about Danny Ings because he's broken an interesting stat. He's only the third Southampton yeah. player to make it 10 goals before Christmas in a Premier League season. The other two are Matthew Letizia and James Beattie. Danny Ings is looking like a bit of a bargain, isn't he? Absolutely. I, th- I think he... Uh, yeah. I mean... Uh, Saints would be sunk really by now, wouldn't they? Without him this season, he's he's been a tremendous asset. Touch wood, he's going to keep his fitness going through the season because that's been a problem with him in the past. But he's looking really, really sharp. I thought it was a terrific finish. I mean, as you say, it was, you could say it was handed to him on a plate, but he wasn't expecting to get that ball at that time. So yeah. he had to have the alertness and the presence of mind to... Uh, to deal with it, and then the actual finish wasn't easy. Um, you know, he, he he wasn't square in front of goal. It, it was a quite a difficult angle, but he smashed it in. Uh, and a player with you know high levels of confidence, I thought, and uh, a lot of skill. So he's looking a huge bargain. And if he carries on like this for the rest of the season, I just think he'll be doubling his value by the end of the season. The the only thing I worry about is that if he carries on like this, he might be called up to the Off. England squad as yeah, well. And well, um. You know, or Liverpool. Yeah, or Liverpool might <laughs> call him back. Let's let's not have that. Um, I I think at this point in the, in, in the podcast, you know, it, we we were looking at these five fixtures, and we said that when we spoke after the Villa game, we'd know an awful lot more about Southampton this season. Um, I think Tom, you said we needed to get ten points out of the fifteen available. Um, yeah. I think I said I was hoping for eleven. Um, which of course would have been not losing for five, so I realised that was kind of quite unrealistic. Uh, we've taken nine points from the last 15 with wins against Watford, Norwich and Villa, who happen to be the three teams that are making up the relegation spaces below us. Missed out in the games at, um, you know, at home to West Ham United and away at St James's Park. We are out of the relegation zone. We're out by by three points, but our goal difference obviously isn't in great shape for, for reasons that we shan't mention on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, what do we know more about Southampton at the end of these five fixtures than we did at the start of them? And uh, Tom, I'm going to let you answer that one first. Uh, well, I think we know that finally Ralph has settled on a starting 10 or 11 players that he wants to play week in, week out. We say 10 or 11, because I think Armstrong and Gineppo is still interchangeable. Um, I think we've learned that our defensive woes probably aren't as bad as we thought, because um, whilst we've been losing games in that five-game run, we've not really been trounced. Um, I think we've learned probably that uh, thank, you know, Danny Ings is probably a much better player than a lot of people are giving him credit for. Um, and then I think in other things we've learned that we've yeah, you know, we probably knew already is that we still have big problems against big mobile centre forwards, and we still perhaps uh, lack uh, ruthlessness. That is the difference between us probably finishing tenth or ninth and finishing fourth or fifth from bottom. And Tom, can I push you for a prediction on where we're going to finish? Which side of the dotted line? I think we'll stay up, and I might. I, I'm pretty sure I've been consistent in that. I, th- I think we will stay up. I think 
um, I, think, I think we will. I think we've got good enough players, and I think the players have a sense of belief. What will what will change that is an injury to Danny Ings or an injury to someone important like Ward Prowse. Um, but I think we'll stay up. I don't. I, I mean, I think we're actually. I was looking at the table earlier, and we are. So we'll play Chelsea away. If we get anything from that game, it'd be fantastic. Uh, that'll see us halfway through the season. You know, this first half of the season has been really a, a game of two halves, isn't it? Of, of that half, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or quarters, you might say. Uh, and I just can't see us playing as badly um, with the games we've got coming up. Again, you know, if you look, we've got a lot of teams that we can beat still to come. Um, you know, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic about it. I think we'll probably end up sort of 13, 12. I think we'll be fine. Really? It'll be a bit hairy on the way. Gosh. Yeah, I think we've got, I think we've got quality. I think we have got the quality. I think we've got the right manager. Um, the league is so tight, isn't it, as well? I mean, we're looking at, mm. you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, one or two wins and all of a sudden everything looks so different, which is why games like the Everton game at home, games like the West Ham game at home, so frustrating teams that are there for the taking. You know, I mean, I haven't got the table off in front of me, but say if we picked four pockets, put four points out of those games, you know, well, you know, that, that is the difference. We, that is, we would be in 13th. Yeah. 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 Mike, what about you? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, I think because the league is so tight, there's probably going to be a sense of potential relegation almost to the end of the season. Um, it's the way it's shaping up. You know, if you're not in the top sort of seven or eight, then you're probably going to be a, a possible candidate for relegation until very late in the season. So I, I think there's going to be a, a spectre of relegation hanging over Saints and a lot of other teams. And there are lots of other teams who seem to be struggling uh, this year, aren't there? I mean, it's you know, apart from a very select bunch, there are very few teams who are putting in consistently good performances. But I, I, I think they do have the quality to stay up. I think there is a bit of a sense of momentum about them at the moment. I know it's still, you know, the West Ham game was a, a real setback, but if you look at their last half a dozen games, the results have been a lot better, okay, against teams that are right down at the bottom with them, but you still have to win those games. The other teams are scrapping for points as well. So um, I, I'd agree with Tom's analysis. I think the, the problem's going to be that they haven't got the depth of quality in the squad, and if they do get uh, an injury to Ings or one or two other players, then they may struggle. But uh, again, I'm entirely with Tom. I think Ralph has not has is and can be a very good manager for Saints. Um, you know, I think he's capable of, of building something there, and I very much like to think that they'll survive this year and they they will kick on from that. Um, I felt that last year and this year has been a disappointment so far, but you know, I think you have to go with it and and feel that he's he's going to take them on to to something better in the next few months. So that's how I'd see it. I say. So my gut feeling tends to disagree with you both. Um, I'm very, very worried about this season. And I'll I tell you why. Because, say, yeah, Villa, Watford, Norwich. I agree there's three teams that are looking worse than us at the moment. 
Nigel Pearson being the manager of Watford does worry me. I think Nigel Pearson is a much better manager than he gets credit for. He got us out of a relegation battle when we were in the championship and then we went down, I think, at the expense of Leicester, who he saved from a relegation battle the following... No, Leicester went down at the expense of us with Nigel Pearson having having nabbed him. And then he he, he he's built the foundations for Leicester to be the team that they are today and for the team that won the title. I also, I look above us and I look at West Ham, Bournemouth, Everton, Brighton, Palace, Arsenal, Burnley, Newcastle. None of those teams I actually think are necessarily going to get dragged into the relegation zone. The only ones <coughs> I could think of potentially who might sink into there could could be Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth and Brighton. Yeah. Potentially yeah, I'd agree with those two. Yeah. yeah. I'd agree with those two. I, I think Bournemouth run out a terrible run. Mm. I mean, I, I, you know, if anyhow, anyhow, if, if anyhow had been a, a generic foreign manager, he'd have been given the boot. And if he'd probably been any other English manager apart from anyhow or Sean Dice, he'd also have been given the boot. Um, they're in a terrible run and they got that great win at Chelsea. Um, you know, they don't, they lack a goal scorer. Wilson, the, the, the wonder kid from Liverpool is injured. Yeah. It's an interesting, interesting one. And I think, you know, even I agree with you, Watford now picking up points, uh, Everton appointing Angelotti. You can't see them staying down there for long. Norwich. Yeah. You probably expect them to be down there. Aston Villa, I'd probably expect to be down there at the end of the season, but you know, my gut feeling is the three that are there now are the three that will go down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, but when, I, I, you know, I, see, I would, I could, you could see Bournemouth, definitely Brighton being dragged into it. Yeah. I mean, one of the other worries is I think Villa have got Norwich and Watford in their next two games. Have, so, yeah. so there's going to be some points won amongst the bottom three, which means that we really need to be looking at getting some points against Chelsea or Palace. Um, I am going to find some evidence for you two, though, in that Southampton are better than we may appear so i'm i'm turning to xg here oh here we go mm-hmm. so southampton's expected points is 26 and a half points that would have us in seventh position in the table so if our you know if our strikers scored the goals that they were expected to score and our, our goalkeeper stopped the shots they were expected to stop then then we would be in seventh and then in terms of chance creation, we're sixth best in the league. So we created the sixth best chances in the league. And I'm going to read out the people above us. Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Leicester. So in terms of creating chances, mm. Southampton are the next best in the division. So that's higher than Wolves, higher than Brighton, Everton, Villa, Burnley, Arsenal, Tottenham, you know, Sheffield United, who are, who are high-flying as well. So there is a little bit of evidence that things could get better, but I am still nervous. I'm just nervous about, I think the game against Villa, we had really, really high XG. And yes, we won, but it worries me about these really crucial home games that we just don't seem to turn up for. And and that is why I'm still not 100% sure which side of the dotted line that we're going to finish. Yeah, and I, and I think although they're creating lots of chances, that's also, a, you could say, a negative in the sense that they're not taking lots of chances. And apart from Ings, you know, and, and that's that's the sort of weakness that if he should lose form or lose fitness, then who's going to be scoring the goals? Yeah. Um, 
I, I, the other thing we haven't mentioned specifically is the partnership he's developing with Long, I think, is a real positive, and that's something that seems to be building and getting better, and that, that's that's great to see. But I think, it, you know, as I said earlier, I, th I think they will do it, but I think it will be nervous throughout the season in terms of will they or won't they, because the league is just shaping up that way. I think there's going to be lots of, you know, the bottom 12 teams are probably going to be in potential yeah. trouble right till, you know, possibly late April, who knows. Uh, so it's not going to be comfortable. But I, th I think I just have a sense they've turned a bit of a corner now. They, they, they do seem to be playing well away from home. And it comes brings us back to this thing about trying to nail some form at home. Because if they were playing as well at home as they're away from home, they'd be in a much better position than they are. And that must be about confidence and about the atmosphere there as much as anything else. Okay, tactics as well. But um, they, they should be capable of picking up more points at home in the second half of the season than they have in the first. And we have to expect that they'll be able to do that. So yeah, I'd agree with that. And also, I think there's there's lots of opportunities for the individual players to get better. You know, we're playing a forward line with three forwards, of which two of which have scored one Premier League goal between them this entire season, which was a, a goal which I could have scored in the last <laughs> minute. And again, we're already winning away at Brighton. You know, so if you if you think like if Redmond can find a purple patch, yeah. it's, it's a big if. But we know that Redmond are longer players that do find purple patches. Yeah. That will alleviate the pressure off Ings. You know, it's, I know we always we veer away from if Chad gets a chance and does well as well. You know. <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think that we we've got a lot. We've got reasons to be cheerful, and I think if I look at it, we've probably got a better squad than well. I think we've definitely got a better squad than Villa, Watford, uh, Norwich. I think we've probably got a better squad than Bournemouth um, and Brighton. Yeah. You know, I think we can put ourselves out of this. Um, I just think it's, it, it's. I think other players need to, to split the burden with Danny Ings because you know he's relishing it at the moment, but yeah. you know it, it could backfire on us. Yeah, um, I, th I think we're running towards the end of this podcast now. Um, I've got two more topics to cover, but one of them I'm going to drop, which is uh, the racism in football. There were some very terrible scenes at the. Um, Chelsea Tottenham game we've got Chelsea up next I hope that that game goes without incident um, I think maybe we'll pick this up in, a, in another um, podcast because you know it's the Christmas podcast we want people to be in the festive spirit um, so I think we're now going to do a little bit of a celebration of the life of Martin Peters I'm gonna have to hand over to Mike <laughs> at this point um, because uh, Martin Peters was before mine and Tom's time but Mike, you can tell us what an important player he was and, and why it's important as English football fans, you know, why we, why we should be, you know, celebrating his life as he's passed away. Yeah, well, it brings us straight back to West Ham because uh, he, his, I think his dad was um, Thames Lighterman or Boatman and that's where Martin Peters was destined to be, but obviously showed some uh, promise as a footballer and he was signed up by West Ham. And... I think he was only 22 or 23 when England won the World Cup. He was very young and he was very influential in that, that team. He was, um, a, lot, a lot of the uh, comments about him in the last few days have been that he, he was a very modern midfielder for that time. He, he um, had a brilliant ability to do everything, really. I mean, I, I think he could play in defence 
Uh, he played midfield and he scored a lot of goals as well. Um, and uh, he was the sort of player who just get into the box without anybody noticing him and then just, you know, nick a, a sort of poacher's goal just coming through like that. Um, and he is, of course, one of only two um, English players who've scored uh, a goal in the World Cup final, Jeff First being the other. But the other thing I'd say about him is everybody said what a really nice bloke he was, very unassuming, a gentleman, very much a family man, and, and, a, and a proper footballer in the old sort of school model, if you like. You know, somebody never got paid a lot of money, I, I, I guess. I think I think the players who won the World Cup, the team that won the World Cup, they each were paid £1,000 each. for That was their win bonus for winning the World Cup. And in those days, there was probably still a salary cap on, so they wouldn't have had big salaries as players. I know, um, I think, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? One of the younger um, uh, West Ham players said that uh, uh, Martin Peters picked him up one day on the way to training and he drove a Ford Anglia. Now, a lot of you won't remember what a Ford Anglia was like either, but it was not a Lamborghini or anything like is it, is it is it like Ford Fiesta level or is it more Ford Focus sort uh, of level way below both of those <laughs> uh, so you think it's something bridging a sort of Ford Model T with a Ford Fiesta very very basic little cars so you know he was, he was just a great guy I think and uh, a really genuine talented footballer who um, played a long time for West Ham he went on to play for Tottenham actually um, I think and then moved on somewhere else after that. But had a great career and, uh, you know, uh, a real old school footballer who um, was a hero. And they were absolute heroes, that, that side. And West Ham, sorry to keep on about West Ham, it's painful at the moment, but West Ham were the spine of that side with Bobby Moore and Jeff Hurst and, and Martin Peters. And just think sort of three players, all, all contemporary players from the same club who had a massive influence on football in the country as a whole. So, yeah, very sorry to see that um, he signed. Another topic, perhaps, was, of course, that he he had uh, dementia and there's a worrying and growing trend about footballers who head footballs who uh, have a higher instance of dementia than the general population. But that's... That's not a topic for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one that we covered with Jeremy Wilson when he was on the podcast um, quite a while ago now. I think you'd have to go back about 18 months into our episodes to find that one, but um, some very interesting uh, links there. Um, but, you know, uh, fantastic to hear about Martin Peters uh, from you, Mike. I just hope that there's an England side that can, that can provide the heroes... Um, once again, and that I get to see that in, in my lifetime, England winning the World Cup or even the European Championships, I think I'd settle for. I think that would be that would be rather wonderful. That'd be brilliant. Maybe three Saints players in the team. Yeah, who knows? Um, well, it reminds me of the uh, you know the, the front three that never was that never went to Brazil, which is Lambert, Lalana, and Rodrigo. Yeah, would have been which would have been the, 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 the attack freeman in the in the World Cup. I think that maybe had a bit more guts. Anyway, well, 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 there we go. So, um. I think at this point we'll we'll call it a night. We'll wish Merry Christmas to everyone who's listening. Um, do let us know, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com if you're listening whilst you're preparing the sprouts, doing the roasters. Um, I've spent about five hours barbecuing the ham <laughs> he has, um, <laughs> today. Uh, having barbecue, to th- I'm just... I'm just- 
you know, doing mine in a slow cooker and coking and roasting it, John. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's maybe not necessarily a recommended plan, but I, I'm planning on getting up at about seven o'clock in the morning on Christmas morning to try and do the turkey on the barbecue. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Uh, hopefully we'll eat dinner on Christmas Day and not have to wait all the way through to Boxing Day. Um, but Merry Christmas, Saints fans. Uh, good luck Merry to those Christmas. of you who are heading up Merry Christmas, uh, to everyone. the game at Stamford Bridge. Um, and please, you know, just see if you can nick us some points to bring back. That would be really rather wonderful. Uh, so Merry Christmas, everyone. And it's a goodbye from me. Yeah, and for me, it's Mike. And for me, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.